Do you know the name Karl Barth? Some of you recognize that name. Uh, 20th century uh, Swiss theologian. Uh, hugely. Barth, yes, B-A-R-T-H. Uh, hugely instrumental in, uh, in evangelical theology. Some would say arguably the, the most profound theologian of, of that century. There is a story that is told about Bart as uh, he died in 1968. And it wasn't, it wasn't too long before his death that he was here in the States and he was speaking at different uh, campuses around the country. And uh, one of his last uh, speaking engagements was at the University of Chicago Divinity School. And after he had spoken, uh, he sat down and the president of the school uh, stood up and said, now I'm, I'm sure that, uh, that all of us would love to have a time of, of, of Q&A, questions and answers with Dr. Bart. But he said, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, that he is tired. He wasn't in good health at that point. He said, I'm pretty sure that uh, the strain would probably be too much. So on our behalf, says the president of the school, I'm going to ask Dr. Bart a question for all of us. So imagine... Uh, you know, here are all the students and they are just sitting there with uh, with notepads and, and, and pens, because the question is this. Dr. Bart, of all of the amazing truths that you have have learned and have studied and have taken into your life over the years, which is the greatest? This is a man who had penned thousands and thousands of pages of of some pretty uh, Pretty intense theology, pretty complex theology. So he's asked to just uh, summarize it in one statement. Here sit the students, ready to write down this, this gem. Dr. Bart closed his eyes for a few minutes. The story is told that pretty soon a smile came across his face as he opened his eyes and he said, the single most important truth that I have discovered in my life as a theologian is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know that song? Let's sing it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. Do you think about that on a daily basis? Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Incredibly powerful truth and, and life-changing truth. If we really understand that Jesus loves us, it's going to change the way that we live, I, I thought of that earlier as, you know, Will crumpled up the, the $100 bill and what a great truth. doesn't matter how torn, how crumpled, how stomped on, how wrinkled we are in life. 
God values us. Jesus loves me. And yet, truth be told, that oftentimes it still is the outward appearance. It still is what other people think of me or don't think of me that drives us and often motivates us to say and do those things that we say and do. This morning, we're going to wrap up our study of Colossians. You know, we've been studying this book for nine weeks now. This will be ten this morning. And of course, you remember all of our lessons clearly. So we hardly need a review, just a a, a brief one this morning. If you forget everything else that we've studied in Colossians, go back to the song that we just sang, Jesus, Jesus loves me. This I know, for God's word tells me so. I think those words are what motivated Paul. As he wrote to the Colossians, the the knowledge of Christ's love, the knowledge of Christ's love, as I said a moment ago, changes things, or at least it should change things. If you know the name Johnny Erickson Tata, you know she's a Christian writer, speaker, an amazing artist. She's a quadriplegic. She's been in a wheelchair since she was a teenager. In a book called We Believe, sort of a a collection of, of, of commentaries, the good news of Jesus Christ for the world, she shares this rather transparent story from her wedding day. She says, I felt awkward as my girlfriends strained to shift my paralyzed body into a cumbersome wedding gown. No amount of corseting and binding my body gave me a perfect shape. The dress just didn't fit well. Then as I was wheeling into the church, I glanced down and noticed that I'd accidentally run over the hem of my dress, leaving a greasy tire mark. My paralyzed hands couldn't hold the bouquet of daisies that lay off center on my lap. And my chair, though decorated for the wedding, was still just a big, clunky, gray machine with belts, gears, and ball bearings. And I certainly didn't feel like the picture-perfect bride in a bridal magazine. I inched my chair closer to the last pew to catch a glimpse of Ken in front. There he was, standing tall and stately in his formal attire. I saw him looking for me, craning his neck to look up the aisle to find me. My face flushed and I suddenly couldn't wait to be with him. I had seen my beloved. The love in Ken's face had washed away all my feelings of unworthiness. I was his pure and perfect bride at that point. My friends, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Imperfect creatures that we are. Paul, who said this is a trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to die for sinners of who I am chief, of who I am the worst. Paul knew the love of Jesus and it changed him. So this morning as we wrap up Colossians, we're going to read from chapter 4. Our text is going to begin with verse 2 and we're just going to go down through verse 6. 
If your Bibles are open or you've been reading through Colossians, you know there's a lot more to chapter 4. But the last verses of chapter 4 are really just their personal greetings and exchanges. And uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to let you spend time looking at those on your own. I'm sure that they had lots of meaning for the folks at Colossae as they knew those names and those people. But we quite frankly don't know really much of, of, of anything at all about those folks. So we're going to zero in on the first few verses of this chapter. Let's stand together and read our text for this morning, shall we? Together, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. All right. Ask your neighbor this question. Okay, quickly. Boy, I'm looking at the clock thinking I've got about two weeks of material to hustle through here. So we're just going to fly right along. Ask your neighbor this question. Why does Paul tell the Colossian believers to, to devote themselves to prayer? I know you're thinking, duh, that's Christians are supposed to pray. Think of the answer to that in terms of where we've been in Colossians. What do you know about Colossians? What's going on at Colossae? What are the believers struggling with at Colossae? And then think, okay, why the exhortation to devote themselves to prayer? Go ahead. Ask your neighbor. See what they think. Okay, we ready? I don't mean to rush you along. <laughs> what do you think? Given what you know, where we've been in, in Colossians and, and what we know of, of the, the, the context and some of the struggles there, what about the exhortation to devote themselves to prayer? What do you think? What's behind it? Brian, go ahead. Okay, good, good, good. Excellent. Yeah, issues of the heart. What else? Some of the issues that they were struggling with, remember? The Gnostics, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. And... Being thankful. Good, good. Excellent. What else? 
Okay. Praying with an eye to the truth of who we are in Christ and uh, being watchful, perhaps not to succumb to pressure to make Christ other than who he is, to make our salvation other than what it is. Two words. Spiritual battle. Spiritual battle. We must never forget that there is a spiritual dimension to this life that we live that, that most of the time we don't really see all that is a part of that and what is going on. But, but the reality is it rages around us. And the spiritual battle rages for the souls of people, men and women and children. I want to suggest to you this morning that these final verses, these exhortations, I think are, are specifically about Paul's mission in life shows us just a little bit of his heart here and, uh, and, and, and where he's feeling need for prayer and support and encouragement. And quite frankly, I think it's a mission that is ours as well. Uh, at least it ought to shape our praying lives and, and our daily living conversation relationships with people. Uh, to put it another way, it's, it's a mission that I think if it's lived out in obedience to Christ, makes an adventure out of the Christian life. Uh, and what I am calling this morning, living, living the mystery. It is, it's what Paul was all about, and it's also what we are called to as followers of Christ. Now, there, there are just a few exhortations that are contained in these verses. And uh, what I'd like to do is, is look at those exhortations briefly, tie them back to some of the stuff that we've learned in Colossians as sort of a, a wrap-up and a review. So I'll try to move right along here in a few minutes. First of all, let's look a little bit more closely at this exhortation to, to pray. Simply put, I think it is a prayer for protection. Now, it's probably not the kind of of prayer for protection that we think of. This might strike you as odd, um, and I know I've said this to some of you before, but I don't think, forgive me if this sounds strange, I don't think that Christians need to pray for physical protection. Now, we often do, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that it's wrong. I just don't know that it's that important. Maybe that's the best way to say it. We pray for physical protection because that is important to us. Because life and our physical well-being and our health is important to us. To, to us. And so, so oftentimes we ask God to, uh, to, put, uh, to, to, to put his angels around the car that we're traveling in, to uh, keep the airplane in the air. Um, I've never been sure why God needs those angels. Uh, but oftentimes we include that in our prayers. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making light of this. Uh, see, this is just a genuine wrestling in my life. And I'm not saying that it's wrong. I just don't know that it's the most important thing. Think about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus never prayed for physical protection. I don't find the disciples ever praying for physical protection. It seems to me that as children of a God who always knows exactly where his kids are and always what their circumstances are 
He promises to never leave us or forsake us in those circumstances. And in light of the abundance of biblical teaching to expect hard times as Christians and to rejoice in them because our loving father is molding and shaping us through them. I'm just not convinced of the importance of praying for physical protection. However, I do recall Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. In the account of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them record Jesus' words to his disciples, watch and pray. Similar words here. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. Jesus exhorted his disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what happened shortly after that? You remember the story. Peter denied Jesus for fear of what would happen to him physically. For fear of of persecution. Jesus didn't exhort his disciples to pray for protection physically. He exhorted them to pray so that they wouldn't fall into temptation. And what did the disciples do that night with Jesus? They slept. And they were not ready for the challenge of persecution that came right around the corner. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. The word does not imply a casual or occasional attitude towards prayer. To devote means to be diligent, to give myself to. Diligent prayer about what? I think this is what Paul is driving at. That we would never deny Christ. That's what temptation is all about. Temptation leads us down a path of denying Christ. Denying Christ in who He is. Denying Christ in His sufficiency for our lives. Denying Christ in His sufficiency for our salvation. Denying Christ in all that He has done for us. We can deny Christ in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. Watch for the ways that the enemy wants to use circumstances and others to cause you to deny Christ. And instead, be thankful. Be thankful for who Jesus is. Be thankful for what he's done in your life. Be thankful for all that he is to you. Don't forget. The struggle that the Colossian believers were in. The major reason that Paul wrote this book, or this letter, I should say, is, as far as we can tell, is for one word. Theological word, Christology. Belief about Jesus. Here's what you need to know about Jesus, Paul is saying. Here's what you need to believe about Jesus. What are followers of Christ supposed to believe about Jesus? And that, of course, is what Paul unloads in just this beautiful and sweeping Christology of Colossians. You remember we said that that Christians can disagree about many things. I may be right, I may be wrong, you may be right, you may be wrong in our disagreements about a number of different things, but we cannot disagree about 
Jesus. To be wrong about Jesus is to be wrong about the wrong thing. Jesus is important. Jesus is what we need to be right about. And so that entire first chapter, Paul unpacks who Jesus is. And there were false teachers, as we've learned, that had infiltrated the ranks at Colossae. And some were suggesting that belief in Jesus was not enough, that what Christ did in his life and death and resurrection was insufficient, etc. That is a denial of Christ. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful that you don't deny Christ, that you don't walk down that path of temptation and end up denying him. The whole of chapter 2 was given to debunking the belief that Christ was not enough. The Colossians were being told that there were other rules and regulations and customs and traditions that must be followed. And Paul said to follow after that stuff, well, that's, that's a denial of Christ and his sufficiency for your salvation. And, and to do that, you remember, he said, you'll disqualify yourself for the prize. Your prize is your salvation. Paul is saying, don't be duped. Does this make sense at all? Okay. Paul's exhortation is to be devoted to prayer, being watchful for ways that we might be tempted to deny Christ for any number of reasons. Physical discomfort. Would, would not be the least of some of those. And at the same time that we are praying watchfully against temptations to deny Christ, to be thankful for who he is. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. There's a second exhortation here in verse 3. And pray for us too, Paul says. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may, pro- we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains here Here is Paul's heart that everyone that he meets will come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Pray that God will open a door for our message. And what is that message? It's the mystery of Christ. That is the mystery that we learned about at the end of chapter 1 where God is bringing salvation through his Son even to Gentiles. For Paul, a Jew... That was an amazing mystery. Why would God do that? Because that's who God is. He brings salvation to people. And remember those wonderful verses, rescuing people who were trapped in the dominion of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom there is redemption, forgiveness of sins. Do you notice what Paul says there in verse 3? He wants to proclaim that mystery for which... He is in chains. It's not always a popular message. Certainly wasn't a popular message in Paul's day. It's not a popular message in many places around the world, as we were reminded of last week. It's becoming increasingly unpopular in our society, in our culture. Brothers and sisters, one of the ways that the enemy will always tempt us to deny Christ is the fear of being unpopular with people with friends and with family. They won't think well of me. We don't want to offend people. And somehow, I think the idea works its way into our thinking that people being separated from God for all of eternity is more palatable than offending them and being uncomfortable for it. We've got to get over that. We've got, we've got to speak about Jesus. 
We've got to tell people about Jesus and their need for a Savior. When it comes right down to it, there is nothing more important than people knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. Paul says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. That amazing message of Christ, the mystery of salvation in Christ, for which I am in chains. Leads to a third exhortation. Paul says, pray that I will proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly as I should. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Paul didn't say, proclaim it as I understand it. Or as I understand it, I will proclaim it. He just simply said, proclaim the mystery clearly. We talked about the role of, of apologetics briefly in one of our Sundays together. And, and the fear that sometimes that causes in us apologetics being a defense for our faith. Fear of, of talking with certain people because we will not be able to answer their questions. Paul's point. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Did I mention that it's a mystery? It's a mystery. And if we wait until we have it figured out, if we wait until we have all the answers, we won't talk about the mystery. We won't share the mystery. Remember that verse in Hebrews chapter 11 where the writer of Hebrews says that the person who comes to God must do what? They must prove that he exists. Oh, no, no. They must believe that he exists. That word believe is the root word for faith in the original language. They must have faith. There is always that step of faith, that, that, that trust. If we wait until we fully understand, we won't share. I'll let you in on a little secret here. I don't think Paul understood all of what he taught the Colossians. He knew that it was truth. He embraced who Jesus was. Did he clearly understand everything? Could he, could he explain it logically? I don't think so. That's why he calls it a mystery. Okay, let me jump out of order and run down to the fifth exhortation because I think it follows what we just said. Verse 6, Paul says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's a little confusing. Even though we don't know all the answers, we need to know how to answer everyone. Uh, it's the idea Paul is communicating here that the way we live will cause folks to inquire of our lives. And when they inquire... We talk with them about what it is we believe, about who we believe in. Let your conversation be seasoned with salt, full of grace, seasoned with salt. What do we know about grace? Grace is deserved, right? It's something that we earned. It's a mystery. Who knows why? But God is a God of grace. So we let our conversation be seasoned, full of grace, which carries with it automatically that sense of, I certainly don't deserve this any more than anybody else. Contrary to what we might think sometimes, that really is true. 
So we bring to that conversation a sense of humility. I don't deserve this from God. Neither do you. It's a lot different than you certainly don't deserve this from God. The conversation that is full of grace carries with it humility and an understanding of that that mystery of grace upon our lives. And seasoned with salt. Gently seasoned with salt. We have nothing to prove. We have nothing to win. We have no one to beat up, etc. Salt was a preservative in that culture. It was, it was rubbed into meat to keep meat from, from spoiling. It was, it was also used as, as medicine to promote healing. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt. Knowing how to answer someone is not the same thing as knowing the answers. I don't understand it all. And I don't have to pretend to. And I don't have to, to cover up the fact that I don't know all the answers. I don't have to pretend to be someone that I'm not. I simply need to speak honestly about my relationship with Jesus Christ and the mystery that I am God's child because of Jesus Christ. Does that ring true in your heart? Okay. The fourth exhortation that I skipped, uh, verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Be wise in the way that we act toward outsiders. Words that call us back to the reality of where we started. It is a spiritual battle that we are in. They suggest that we use, that we use tact and, and wisdom in the way that we speak and the words that we use. Be wise versus be dumb. Be wise. There's an example that came to my heart this week as I was working on this. And, and I don't often... I, I, I never want to go places and put down others. That's just not who I am. But this one just begs to be put down. You heard of Westboro Baptist Church, Topeka, Kansas? Pastor Fred Phelps. Their website is GodHatesFags.com. Yes, you can go there. And you can read about what that church does in the name of Jesus. And I want to puke. Contrast that with ministry that's going on in a place called Calvary Church in Grand Rapids. Pastor by the name of Ed Dobson. Ministry in a community that is full of all kinds of lifestyles and a huge homosexual community. Dobson doesn't compromise on what he believes the Bible teaches. The church doesn't compromise. They have an enormous ministry to people in their community. I'll never forget an interview that I read about a person in the community. And the, uh, this person who was interviewing said, So tell me, given who you are and the truth of what you hear preached in this church, why is it that you attend this church? Why, why do you go here? This person's response was, you know what? So there's a lot of things that I don't agree with. But one thing I never, ever doubt is that that pastor loves me, even though he may not agree with my lifestyle. The people in that church love me, 
even though they feel differently about the way that I live. That, my brothers and sisters, that is being wise. That is being wise in the way that we act toward outsiders. Remember the humility and the mystery of grace. Making the most of every opportunity, Paul says. That was market language of the day. It uh, was often used by buyers in the market when they would buy something out or they would, they would find a good deal and they would just purchase it completely. They'd just snatch it up. Paul is saying, snatch up the opportunities that God brings your way. Do it with gentleness and humility. Being wise in the way that you act towards those who are not a part of God's family. Don't beat them into the family. Love them into the family. I heard a speaker earlier this week, the uh, pastor's conference that I was at for a couple of days. He said, I fear that much of Christianity is boring and unattractive to the non-Christian world in which we live. And if that is true, and it may be, it's not because what we believe is boring, and it's certainly not because we have who we've put our faith in is, is boring. I believe that God intends for our time of following Christ on this earth to be an adventure beyond description. It's exactly what Paul is describing here. Paul, I don't think, would have ever called his life boring. It was an adventure. When Paul committed to following Christ, he followed Christ. And he talked about Christ and he shared Christ and he spoke of Christ everywhere that he went. And I think it's the life that God calls us to living out the mystery of life in Christ should be a great adventure. But I think it can only be that when we are obedient to what he has called us to. I read the wildest story earlier this week that I just have to close with for you this morning. Praise team, why don't you come on up and get ready to, uh, to lead us as we respond. This is one of those hard-to-believe truth is stranger than fiction. A couple of years ago, this was on Fox News. I just read about it this week. A young man named Benjamin Carpenter, 21 years old, who was crossing a Michigan highway in his wheelchair when he became stuck in a semi-trailer's grill. Semi-truck was going, and, that, and, and the truck pushed him for miles before the unknowing driver was pulled over. Carpenter escaped unharmed, saying it was quite a ride. (laughs) Can you imagine? Carpenter was attempting to cross the street when the light turned green in his wheelchair. Somehow the, the driver didn't see him. His wheelchair became hooked in the grill of his big truck, and the truck took off. And for four miles, some places reaching up to 50 miles an hour. He was taken to the hospital, the the guy in the wheelchair, just as a precaution. He had been secured to his wheelchair by a seatbelt. When officers stopped the truck at a private business, the young man in the wheelchair was in a calm state. (laughs) One policeman said he spilled his soda, but he wasn't upset. When they asked him how he was doing, he said, oh, he said, I'm fine. I just went for a little ride. Can you imagine That's what I want to say when I get to heaven. Oh, I'm fine. Lord, I just went for a little ride. You know, we we tiptoe through life in order to arrive at death safely. And that is not what Christ calls us to. 
calls us to follow him. Be bold, be daring, be adventurous. Speak out for Jesus. Let people think what they may. Do it with humility and love and gentleness. And let God use us for his glory to advance his kingdom, knowing that when it gets uncomfortable here, well, I have an eternity of comfort and peace to look forward to. Last I checked, this isn't heaven. Let's quit living like it is and get busy. Amen.